So one of our favorite songs here at Wellsprings, we just did. Sometimes when people uh, ask how they can explain the heart of who we are at Wellsprings, the heart of what Unitarian Universalism is, I just say, listen to that song, internalize it, and you'll know exactly what we're talking about, what we're about here. And the heart of that song, the core of that song to me is a question. And so the challenging thing becomes not to look for miracles, but finding where there isn't one. That is a challenge for me, I'll be honest. Raise your hands. Anyone else have that particular challenge as well? All right, a few of you. I think the challenging thing comes from this. We have a tendency to focus on the object that we're looking at or the experience that we're perceiving and expect that to give us the experience of the miraculous rather than focusing on the who that is doing the seeking and the seeing or the how we are opening the doors of our perception. Our great spiritual ancestor, great spiritual teacher, Henry David Thoreau, put it this way. To shape the means and the medium through which we look, the means and the medium of our perception, that is the highest of all the spiritual arts. So today I want to start out by telling you a story of someone who knew how to look, who had the art of perception, and who called me through their ability to work miracles and know they did not walk on the water or part the seas, but still they worked miracles because of their power to perceive. And it woke me right up from the stupor that I was in. It happened here in a place in which you may not think miracles happen very often, the Grattany Parkway toll booth, a thoroughfare in southern Florida. Now, to give you a little context in my life at this time, this was June of 2005, and this was a few days before I was just about to leave my ministry, the first ministry I had ever served, to gather up all our stuff and move up here, to launch, and to start Wellsprings. This was a time in my life in which not only was I not even sure if my head was screwed on straight, I was not sure if my head was connected to my body. There was the grief of saying goodbye. There was the anxiety of what comes next. There was the excitement linked into that as well. And as a result, it always felt like I was six steps out in front of where I need to be. And my entire life was contained in boxes. And so I pulled up to this Grattany Parkway toll booth. And this is before the age of Easy Pass for me. So I kind of just put my hand out. Here's my money. Didn't even look. Don't impede my progress. And I got this voice who asked with warmth, and real interest. And how are you doing today? Except it was this warm, sweet, southern voice that this Brooklyn-born kid will not try to murder or approximate. How are you doing today? And there was something, there was something in the way that she asked it where I just, I actually looked where my hand was directed. And I was so disarmed by her sweetness and her genuine nature that I gave an honest answer. <laughs> I'm not doing so well. I'm not sure if I'm coming or going. It's not a great day. And she said, yeah, we all have days 
like this. And while she was making change for the money that I had given her, without, by the way, taking her eye off of me the entire time, she said, you take care of yourself today. You take care. And then she did something else to bring the message of that home, cross that space of normally what is solely a monetary mechanistic transaction. She reached out. And she touched my arm. You take care of yourself, she said today, with all the tenderness, almost as if I was her baby child. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I, I got a little uh, verklempt. <laughs> I, was, I was moved to tears by the genuine tenderness and loving kindness of her reaching out to me. And I said, looking back at her, thank you. You have no idea what this means to me. You have no idea. And you, please, do the same. You take care of yourself as well. She was prepared for me before she ever met me. Before she knew anything about me and actually all she knew about me could be contained in this one transaction. She was prepared for me. She made space for me just as we make space all the time for what's going on around us, right? It's about making space. She was prepared for me and because of that, she blessed me. There's a guy who teaches at Duke University Divinity School named Craig Dykstra. And he teaches what's called practical theology, which, in my opinion, is the only theology that matters. He talks about spiritual practices, not about mastering spiritual practices, not about getting the right spiritual practices, but about spiritual practices as this. He calls them habitations for the Spirit, that what we're doing with dedicated, diligent practice every day is we're making room in our lives for the Spirit to make a home with us. For me, this brings to mind for the aspects, for the teachings of the Buddhist tradition from which I draw regularly. They're called the four limitless qualities, the four limitless qualities, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and the one that I struggle with the most, if you know anything about me, equanimity. I am not so even keeled, but I'm working on it. But here's what I really love about the four limitless qualities is that the literal translation of that word from the ancient Pali text, Brahma-vihara, means divine abodes. Bringing God home. Bringing divinity into our lives. Practically, intimately, in the ways that can change us. Almost as if we were creating a kind of nest for the spirituality in our lives, the contents of our lives, our stresses, our joys, our cares, nesting that in a way that we're able to receive this life just in the way that that toll taker received me, making a space. I think the, the degree to which we practice making our lives habitations, homes, abodes for the Spirit determines where we might find ourselves on this little continuum, this little chart here. On the one hand, we've got conditioning and habit. 
which can be words that are used positively. I am not using them positively today. <laughs> I'm talking about habit, the habit of compulsion. I'm talking about the habit of behavioral, perhaps addictions or ways of thinking that why do we do them? Well, we've always done them this way. Why? Well, because we've always done them this way. Conditioning, cultural conditioning, religious conditioning, the conditioning of our families that just says this is the way that we do it. And on the other side of the continuum, and by the way, if you could imagine that extending all the way off of the screen infinitely, these arts of awakening, the arts of awakening, that's what I believe this toll taker had done to be able to receive me and allow me to perceive my life. See, if we're practicing the arts of awakening, we might know what it's like to be unstuck out of the ruts that we may find ourselves in, free, more roomy, more spacious, more able to live, more able to love. So this is what I'll explore today when I'm bringing this message series, So Good Seeds, about the cultivation of spiritual character to an end. See, because for our spiritual lives, formation is much more important than information. And please don't walk out of here today saying, he said, information doesn't matter. (laughs) Information does matter. Being able to tell what is true from what is false matters. Being able to tell what is fantasy from what is fact matters. Information matters a great deal. But in a spiritual sense, when we're talking about cultivating our character, formation, the nest, the container that holds the contents of our lives is much more important than the information itself. Shaping the container is about forming our lives day after day after day after day to make our lives, our hearts, habitations and homes for the spirit. Because the truth is this, and if we're all honest about it, we know it already. I try to be honest about it. No matter how well equipped, no matter how well prepared, no matter how well informed we are, things will pop up that we were not prepared for. There is no perfect information for every situation. There is no complete preparation for every situation. There is no final explanation for every situation. And that, my friends, is why cultivating our spiritual character matters. Because at the moment in which the gaps in our information, in which the gaps in our explanation, and the gaps in our preparation opens up, we can choose to stand in that place fluidly, lovingly, willingly choose to stand in that place of our not knowing and a spiritual character that calls us into that place of our not knowing. Because to refuse that is to engage in one of the primary things that is ripping our world apart right now. Fundamentalism. Fundamentalism both of heart and of faith. I think actually emotional fundamentalisms are the bedrock upon which any doctrinal fundamentalism is built upon. Fundamentalism which says, no, folks, you can have it. All the preparation is perfect. You can have all the information and it's perfect. All that matters. You can have all the explanations that matter and it's perfect. Here it is. But we see what fundamentalism does to our lives. We see what fundamentalism does to other people's lives. The pain, the sorrow, the suffering, the oppression it causes. 
This is why our spiritual ancestors said this, that salvation, and by salvation I mean wholeness, wholeness in this life that we know right now, salvation perhaps in any life to come or any life that's ever been before it. They talked about salvation by character, the capacity to create that nest, that habitation for the Spirit in our lives. That is salvation by character, wholeness by cultivating the very depth of who we are. Because without a developing character expressed through, just like that toll taker did, curiosity. She was curious enough to ask me how I was doing. Without compassion, which clearly she had, and without that baseline openness that said, I was ready to receive you. Without this developing character, we are all likely to fill the gaps of the unknown with our judgment. We have an interaction with a person we don't like, doesn't go well, and we might say, you're stupid. We encounter someone or someones who behave in a way that we're not familiar with, and we say, they're strange. Or we encounter someone who can't do anything for us, <laughs> who's not going to improve our speed down the highway, and we say, eh, they don't matter. We do this all the time in our lives with races, gender, ethnicities, differing political parties. See, in what we can sense in that place, we learn to stand in the gap of what we don't know and face our own discomfort, or at the very least not knowing, is that character helps us perceive what it's like to actually feel uncomfortable in a productive way. We get to see, to notice, if our discomfort is merely because we're relating to something that's strange to us, because we just don't know it yet, or whether, in fact, it's strange and unfamiliar because it's violating some deeply held belief. We get to see whether we're merely reacting out of fear, out of judgment, or whether we are responding from a place of deep value and heart. Which is to say, character helps us fruitfully experience what it's like to be uncomfortable. I shared this with a number of you uh, a few years ago, I think. I once served in a congregation before this one, um, in which there was a, a new team that came together, a new committee that came together to launch a new program. And, you know, whenever we're launching something new, you know, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not actually launching something new. <laughs> And there was one member of this team who the minute we would reach that place in which we didn't know how to do it yet, <laughs> would always say, I'm uncomfortable. And all the energy and the rest of the team became focused on making him comfortable. And it never worked. <laughs> Years later, I came up with the perfect response. Thank you, brain. That only figures things out 10 years later. <laughs> Why is it our job to make you comfortable? Part of the cost and also the fruitfulness of our character is standing in those places in which we're not comfortable and learning what we need to know in those spaces. It's why if I had to describe my kind of philosophy of life all together beyond just political party or spiritual affiliation or even Unitarian Universalist, I would say this. I am a progressive traditionalist. I believe that these thousands of years old virtues like loving kindness, like compassion, like even as far as it is for me, equanimity, like sympathetic joy, that these are enough to guide me 
into dealing with the places of my own discomfort. I will use a particular example from my life with you. I was 14 years old, and while I did not grow up in a homophobic house, I grew up in a homophobic culture. And so when someone older than wiser than me mentioned two people of the same gender getting married, I said, literally, my 14-year-old self said, that's strange, that doesn't happen. And then they asked me the question that mattered. Why do you believe that? And I had no good answer other than my own discomfort, which is to say my own cultural conditioning. That's all of what it was reducible to. And that's where that particular awakening came about, started to come about in my life. See, if we get in touch with what it's like to feel the discomfort of our unfamiliarity, of our conditioning maybe fading away and something new coming to be, we can overcome that conditioning and we can do this. We can make room in the heart and grow our heart and enlarge the heart's capacity to love. We can create that habitation for the heart. In many different traditions, these are what is known as heart practices, really going into that place so we yearn to expand our capacity to love. In the Buddhist tradition, and I do this practice very regularly, it is called metta, loving-kindness meditation. May you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease and well-being. May all creatures be free from the causes of inner and outer harm. May all creatures come to know the causes of inner and outer happiness. We first start that by directing that towards ourselves and then directing that outward, even to the point of the people we don't like. In other traditions, sometimes this is called praying for our opponents or praying, if you want to get even more specific, for our enemies. Now, I've done a lot of loving-kindness practice with folks, and it's understandable that we have resistance. I have resistance when we meet that place of wishing loving-kindness or praying for our enemies, the people we don't like. And this is the dodge. This is how the resistance expresses itself most particularly. People go right to the Hitler test. You can't expect me to pray for Hitler. I'm not going to do it. Folks, don't take your own bait of the Hitler test. <laughs> there are easier ways to work into these heart practices than starting with the most extreme example we can find. I mean, folks, Thanksgiving is coming. We will have a lot of practice to work into if we pay attention. We have our families to start to work with. We have our mother's bone-dry, choke-on-it turkey coming up. We have our sister who somewhere between glasses two and three of wine starts to say the thing that really gets under our skin. We have our uncle who's the most ignorant person on the planet giving most ignorant opinions anyone has ever held. Start with these. <laughs> Start to love these enemies or opponents. Start to see what your reactions are. Start to notice. Start to see our conditioning. Do we, in response to the person who holds the worst opinions in the world, start to share our own worst opinions in the world from that reactive place? Or do we create a little bit of space and respond to them differently? Not agree with them, but respond differently. 
see an enlarged perception are the first fruits of our character. Just being able to see, perceive, say inwardly or outwardly, I see, I acknowledge that this is happening. Without trying to change it immediately, just being able to say, I see that this is happening. I see that this reaction is happening. I see that this occurrence is going on. Because in time, what we may be able to see is that the fuller fruits of character is that we're enlarging our capacity to care. First awareness, then moving to that place of deeper caring. I saw this years ago when a friend of mine, we were both in seminary together. I mean, this goes, must go back two decades now. And this, this friend of mine, she was uh, serving in a congregation as like a seminarian, like, you know, five hours a week maybe. And one of her responsibilities had to do with leading a youth group. And this youth group for younger teens largely was comprised of kids who grew up in, in a pretty, some pretty unsafe environments. And so a lot of what the church did was just giving these kids a place to be kids. And so a lot of what they did was, was playing games. And my friend noticed that this one particular child was really drawn to uh, checkers and even was, was learning how to play chess. But never wanted to play the games like Monopoly or the game of life. Any game that had uh, cards in it. Would even create excuses when this child was invited to come play these kinds of games. Week after week after week, my friend saw this. Noticing. And then one day, my friend got an inkling of an idea of why this might be and saw her own heart break open a little bit. And so she asked this child to kind of talk over to the side, not in anyone else's earshot. And she said, Do you know how to read? And the child's head hung low. And tears started to form in this child's eyes. Because this child couldn't read. And most people had not noticed. And so my friend, who's an incredibly skilled clergy person right now, did the best and smartest thing they could. They said, would you like to go talk to the senior pastor? And they did, and they found their way to the senior pastor's office. And the senior pastor heard this child's story and started to put together a program of literacy skills and training and help and tutoring. And that's how this child learned to read. See, if we notice, then we're aware. And if we're aware, then we can care. But it all begins in making space. It all begins in recognizing that this world is so often trying to tell us things that we cannot beforehand know. Revelation is unsealed in big and in small ways to practice this art of awakening, this basic receptivity, this openness in all the ways that matter. These are expressions of our growing spiritual character. To be open in all the ways that matter. I found myself responding this past week to another way of being open that didn't sit all that well with me. It's something I put on Facebook, and it's actually something I think I first saw from one of you on Facebook. And it's this growing trend in our society uh, to extend Black Friday, the shopping day after Thanksgiving, right out into Thanksgiving itself to the point where stores never close. Now, of course, my first source of upset about this are the people who work in these stores. 
that they may not be compensated or have enough choice to be able to say, no, I don't want to work on Thanksgiving. They may not have that right if they want to keep their jobs. And so this is a question of justice and fairness. And then there's also something deeper that nests that, that nests this desire to be always engaging in buying, selling, commerce, whatever it is, that a society that does not trust the holy open spaces of Sabbaths and of not holidays, but what the word really is, holy days, days in which we're not supposed to do anything, (laughs) days in which we're supposed to rest, what does it say about us as a society that we are creeping and creeping and creeping more towards a place where in the name of being open, of transacting, we are closing down all of that other inner space and removing from us the possibility and the need to be uncomfortable by doing nothing. (laughs) This holy day season is a great time to practice and to see our cultural conditioning to doing and doing and doing simply because we've done it that way all the time. And to ask, what are the kinds of relationships that really draw us back to life? draw us back to a life that is always evolving, always changing, always revealing itself. And so I want to end here this message series and this message today by a quote that I've really come to treasure over the years. It's by a guy named Poe Bronson, who writes a lot about living a called life, which has nothing at all to do with having the title reverend before you're tame. It has everything to do with understanding what our hearts urge us to be in this life. And he says in this society, there's, um, there's what he calls the conventional success story. One in which each next step, the protagonist has more money, more respect, and more possessions. I like that here. That's not a bad story. But he offers a better story. I'd like to suggest he continues an alternative success story. One where this person is closer to finding that spot where they are no longer held back by their fearful heart. Where their talent explodes and their character blossoms. And the gift that they have to offer the world is apparent. Why is this an alternative success story? Because we have made it alternative. (laughs) it might make us uncomfortable because it may ask us that question about the only challenging thing not being that there are not miracles here already there are and we are it and them but to say do we have the capacity of perception to be able to even see the miracles in the first place we affirm these miracles here We call it the fact that the burning bush is blazing everywhere. Our last and most grounding of all of our core beliefs, the burning bush is blazing everywhere. A given and a gift. If we are able to perceive what is here. And so this is my question for us today, all of us, not you, me too. Are we creating enough space to notice and to become aware 
and to care? Are we practicing the arts of awakening? Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Infinite God, beyond any expectation of comprehension, infinite divine that meets us exactly where we are, whether we are prepared or not, infinite holy, beyond any of our powers of explanation. May we invite ourselves this day to practice those arts of awakening and be ready to receive this life, this life that is already here, not on the horizon and not in the rearview mirror, but this life that is already here. May we call ourselves back and back and back again to that which will always elude our understanding, but called back to that which we can embrace with our love. Amen.